All right, well, good morning again, everyone. Um, we are continuing our series in the book of John this morning. Last week, we looked at John chapter 12, which was the end of Jesus's public teaching ministry. And it's, it's a sad ending, his, his public teaching ministry. Um, in the beginning of the Gospel of John, we're told in, ver- in chapter 1, verse 11, and we talked about this last week too, he came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. And that's what we saw at the end of chapter 12. Jesus had just ridden into Jerusalem um, in triumph, and yet the enthusiasm of the crowd shifts when Jesus reveals that he will be lifted up. And the crowd rightly takes this to mean that he's talking about his death. Um, For them, that was unthinkable. If he was the Messiah, his reign was supposed to be forever, right? But Jesus argues, sorry, Jesus urges them to believe in him uh, while he's still with them. He says, while you have the light, believe in the light, that you may become sons of light. And, and then Jesus hides himself from the crowd. And verse 37 tells us, though he had done so many signs before them, they still did not believe in him. And so that brings us to the, to the end of chapter 12. Some scholars divide the book of John into two books, um, the book of signs, which is the first 12 chapters, and then the book of glory which is the rest of the book of John. Um, The book of signs shows us who Jesus is and it points to what he came to do. And and all of this is shown through Jesus' teachings and and through his miracles or signs, which he performs. John only highlights seven of Jesus' signs and he does this intentionally. He's not saying that Jesus only did seven miracles but he has chosen seven signs um, to show us something about Jesus through each one. And he's used it as a literary device as well. Seven is the number of perfection. Jesus lived a perfect and a holy life, and his sacrifice for us was a perfect sacrifice. And so John's trying to highlight that through through these kind of hidden things. Seven seven is is a perfect number. And yet, Um, In Jesus' ministry to the Jewish people, uh, it ends in such a disheartening way as we saw. But Jesus did fulfill what he came to do. He he spoke what the Father asked him to speak. And and his public ministry ends with rejection, mostly, right? We saw that there's still a remnant. uh, And Jesus spends these last few chapters of John teaching his disciples before his betrayal and his crucifixion, burial, and resurrection. So we're headed to the book of glory, which is the last half of John, and the hour has come. Jesus has said his hour has come. It is the revelation of Christ's glory. Remember last week we read that the Father answers Jesus' prayer out loud for the crowd to hear. Jesus prays, Father, glorify your name. And the Father says, I have glorified it, and I will glorify it again. Jesus will be glorified through his death, resurrection, and his return to the Father. So we turn to the remnant. It's Thursday, the night before Jesus' crucifixion. And Jesus and his disciples are about to share one last meal together. 
We're in chapter 13, verse 1. It says, now before the feast of the Passover, and I'll just stop there. Um, We've seen so far that when John mentions or highlights a festival or a feast, he wants us to see that Jesus is making the most of every opportunity he has. And and when, when Jesus attends these feasts, John shows us how he uses these feasts to highlight something about himself. Um, He uses the themes to reveal more about who he is and to help the Jewish people understand more about who he is and what he came to do. I just want to go through a a few of these festivals. Um, John 7 takes place during the Feast of Tabernacles. The Feast of Tabernacles is is a celebration of the time when Israel was in the desert and God provided for them for them. He provided water in the desert. And on the third day of this festival, the Feast of Tabernacles, um, it says in John 7, this is Jesus speaking, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. And this is brilliant. Um, You see, because God has provided water in the desert, because he had provided water in the desert, water was also a big part of this celebration of the Feast of Tabernacles. And on the third day of this feast, um, the day that Jesus stands up and proclaims this to the crowd, there's actually a ceremony where they take water from the Pool of Siloam and they pour it on the altar in the temple. And, And Jesus is saying on this day, that he will quench their thirst, that he is living water and and he's come to to quench their thirst. This is, it's it's brilliant. Jesus uses the theme and the traditions of the festival that he's at to point to truth about himself and to call people to believe in and, and follow him. So far, John has shown us that Jesus has already been to two Passovers. And it makes sense that Jesus would have attended Passover during his three-year ministry. In chapter 2, it mentions one of these Passovers where Jesus cleanses the temple. And the leaders ask him, what right or what sign do you show us for doing these things? In other words, what authority do you have for doing this? He's just cleared out the money changers of the temple. And Jesus says to them, destroy this temple and in three days I will raise it. And he's referring to his body as the temple and alluding to his coming death and resurrection. Jesus is the sign. He has has the right to clear the money changers, the exploitation, the, the profiteering out of the temple because he is the son of God. And he will prove that everything he said about himself is true when he rises from the grave. In chapter 6, when Jesus feeds the 5,000, it's also during Passover. And we know that Passover is a celebration of God literally passing over the houses that had blood painted above their doors. And because of that blood, they are saved from death. Passover is celebrated with bread and lamb and wine. And Jesus, after he feeds the 5,000, He says, I am the bread of life. 
If you eat me, you will have eternal life. People, people don't like this. It's, it sounds weird, you know? They don't like what he's saying. Um, what is he talking about? And many turn away from him after this teaching. But he's using the theme of Passover. If you eat my flesh and drink my blood, he says, you will have eternal life. He feeds this crowd of 5,000, and he tells them that he has greater food than the bread and the fish that he's just provided for them, that they've just received. And it's his body and his blood. Jesus is the Passover lamb. All right, back to our passage this morning. In chapter 13, it says, Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. During supper, when the devil had already put it into, into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going back to God, rose from supper. He laid aside his outer garments and, taking a towel, tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet. So, it's Passover, and Jesus and the disciples are sharing one last meal together. And John leaves out one thing in his account of the Last Supper. What does he leave out? He leaves out the meal. There's no bread. There's no wine. There's no do this in remembrance of me. Why? Why does John leave this out? Well, back in January when we restarted this series, uh, one of the things we looked at was that John's gospel was written much later than the other gospels. 90% of what's recorded in John is not in the other gospels. Um, John knows what the other gospels say. They've been around for, for a few years when he writes his. And, and he wants to highlight or, or bring to light things that were left out of the other gospels. Each gospel has a particular focus and John's focus is to show us who Jesus is. Remember in chapter 20, John tells us the purpose of his book. He says that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. That's why John has written this book. And so knowing that the other three gospels describe the Last Supper, John tells us some behind-the-scenes stuff here. Um, he, he tells us what happened before the supper. We see Jesus continuing to teach and to minister to his disciples. The second part of verse 1, I'll just highlight it there. It says, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. Jesus loved his disciples to the end, and he continued to teach them and continued to minister to them up to his arrest and his death. Verse 36 of chapter 12 told us that Jesus had hid himself from the crowds. And he, and he could have hid himself from everyone. He could have just gone away and waited until his, his betrayal, his arrest. But he doesn't abandon them. He knows that, that his disciples still don't fully understand what kind of Messiah he is. But they've remained with him. They still do believe that he is Messiah but they need him to continue to be patient with them and to guide them and to teach them. 
And that's what he will do until his arrest in the garden. Verse 2 and 3 tell us a little bit about what's going on in Jesus' mind. He knows that Judas will betray him. He might have known this when he chose Judas. Um, He certainly knew early on in his ministry, back in chapter 6, it says, this is Jesus speaking, did I not choose you, the 12, and yet one of you is the devil? And John comments on this in verse 71. He says, he spoke of Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, for he, one of the 12, was going to betray him. So Jesus knew early on that Judas would betray him. He knew what he would do. And yet Jesus continues to teach and minister to all of the disciples, including Judas. And and even here, he's he's about to wash Judas' feet even. Why would he do that? Well, verse 3 actually tells us why. It says, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going back to God, rose from supper. So, Jesus knows who he is, and he knows where he's going. He, he's not only going to the cross, he's going back to the Father. And you see, God is not a bystander watching and waiting while evil moves in. Evil has moved in against him, and yet this has been God's plan all along, right? But the enemy has no idea. What, what is meant to be the triumph of evil is actually going to be the triumph of good. And Jesus is aware of this. He has a firm grasp on reality, on what's going on, more so than anyone else in this room. And so with this frame of mind, he rises from supper to assume the role of the servant. It says in verse 4, he laid aside his outer garments and taking a towel, tied it around his waist, Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them and the towel that was wrapped around him. This must have been so shocking to the disciples, so shocking that no one says anything. The disciples just sit there in silence until Jesus gets to Peter and and Peter refuses. Peter speaks up. He came to Simon Peter who said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? This kind of brings us back to or reminds us of what happened with John the Baptist. Um, John has been calling for repentance and teaching that there's one greater than him who, who is coming, one that is so great that John is not even worthy to carry his sandals. And, and Matthew tells us in Matthew chapter 3, verse 13, then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to John to be baptized by him. John would have prevented him saying, I need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? But Jesus answered him, let it be so, let it be so now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he consented. In other words, Jesus was saying, this is what the Father wants. And the difference between John the Baptist and Peter is that John the Baptist, although he's initially hesitant, doesn't refuse Jesus, whereas Peter does. And Jesus says in verse 7, what I am doing you do not understand now, but afterward you will understand. Peter said to him, you shall never wash my feet. Peter is so reactive, he's so quick to react. 
and he's so quick to come to a conclusion. I mean, in a way, he's not wrong. He believes Jesus is the Messiah. Jesus is his, his rabbi and his teacher, his Lord. If anything, he should be doing this for Jesus. He should be washing Jesus' feet. But Jesus isn't doing this just to teach the disciples something. It's, it's also a practical thing that he's doing for the disciples. Obviously, someone forgot to book the foot-washing servant, and it must have been a little awkward for everyone coming into that room, in the upper room, and no one's there, and they just sit down with their dirty feet. No one among them offered to do this because this was a servant's job, um, and it was reserved for the lowest person on the totem pole. The Gentile servant was the one who had to wash dirty feet. And we don't see Peter offering to wash Jesus' feet, do we? We don't, see, we don't see anybody offering to wash anyone's feet. Um, Peter just simply refuses to let Jesus do this. How does Jesus respond to him? Jesus says, if I do not wash you, you have no share with me. Obviously, Jesus isn't just talking about foot washing here. This is, this is less than 24 hours before he's about to go to the cross. And event, an event that the disciples don't understand either until the, the fact, until after the fact. What Jesus is telling Peter here is that if I don't, no, is Jesus telling Peter here, if, you, if I don't wash your feet, you can't be my disciple? Is he saying that? I think he is. I believe that that's what he's saying. Remember, Jesus takes every opportunity to teach. There is no servant to wash their feet, and so he uses this opportunity to illustrate something. So many things here, actually, and, and we're going to break it all down in a minute, but let's keep reading. Verse 9, Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not, only my, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. Jesus said to him, the one who is bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, <clears throat> but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not every one of you, for he knew who was going to betray him. And that's why he said, not all of you are clean. You kind of have to chuckle at Peter here. He's a fisherman, right? And, and he's a sailor. He's, he's a little rough around the edges. Um, he doesn't seem to have a filter. He just says what's in his mind without th really thinking it through. And we see that even more later on in John. But I'm guessing he said what a lot of the disciples were actually thinking here. Why is our master doing this? In Luke's gospel during this meal, we see some of the disciples arguing about who is the greatest among them. And I think in knowing that Jesus is the Messiah in knowing that they are in his inner circle, there's, there's some pride there. Some pride has crept in. And, and maybe they're thinking, we're going to be taken care of. We're going to be leaders in this new kingdom. But they really have no clue what's about to happen. The disciples are, are almost on the same page as the crowd that we read about in chapter 12 just a, a day before. But the difference is that the crowd rejected Jesus whereas the disciples have stuck by him, and they do trust him. They believe in him. They have just held on to this popular belief about who the Messiah is. 
an earthly king who will have an earthly kingdom. That's the popular belief at this time. And that's why they're so devastated when Jesus is crucified. That's why they scatter and hide. And so Jesus is here to show them and to demonstrate to them yet again who he is and what his kingdom looks like. Jesus is saying to Peter and really to all of the disciples here that this is what a follower of his does. And part of following Jesus is serving others. But there's also a deeper message that Jesus is trying to communicate. This is what he came to do. He came as a servant. He came to die on our behalf. And we need to accept that he did that for us. We deserve to be on that cross, not Jesus. He, he was perfect. He lived a perfect life. He was obedient to the Father, but he willingly went to the cross to die for our sins and to wash away our uncleanliness. Jesus is trying to demonstrate to the disciples his heart, his willingness to take the form of a servant on our behalf. If Peter was not willing to accept that, then he could have no share with Jesus. Some translations say, no part with me. You can have no part with me. We, we cannot be in a relationship with Jesus or in fellowship with him unless we first believe in him and then accept and receive what he's done for us, even though we don't deserve it. Neither Peter or any of the disciples really understood the significance of this or, or what Jesus was really saying. But Peter did understand what Jesus meant when he said, if I do not wash you, you have no share with me. And, and he says, if that's the case, Lord, wash every part of me, basically is what he's saying. And, and there's two ways that we can explain what Jesus meant here in verses 9 through 11. He could have meant, if you already bathed, there's no need to wash again except for your feet. Or he could have been talking about the ceremonial bathing that all of them would have had to gone through would have had to have gone through right before the Passover because everyone had to be cleansed before the Passover. In either case, Jesus is talking about something much more. Um, he's talking about something that, a, a greater thing that he's trying to get at. The disciples were clean in another sense because they had accepted his words and they had trusted in him and because of what he was about to do on the cross. If anyone receives the cleansing that comes from the cross, they are able to have fellowship with God. We are able to enter into the presence of God because of what Jesus has done. And not only that, he comes and he resides in us. This is a big part of what Jesus is trying to get at here. And he knows that they don't understand now, but they will understand in the future when they remember back to what he said and, and when the Holy Spirit comes and opens up their eyes. But this is not just a metaphor. Jesus is trying to teach them something practical as well. It says in verse 12, when he had washed their feet and put, up, put on his outer garments and resumed his place, he said to them, do you understand what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. 
just because Jesus had assumed the role of the servant didn't diminish the fact that he was still their teacher and their Lord. He's trying to show them that nothing is beneath them. And then he commands them to continue to serve one another in this way. We talked about this a few months ago when we were going through the One Another series. And we are commanded in Galatians 5, through love, to serve one another. This, this is exactly what Jesus is teaching his disciples here. Through selfless love, he assumes the role of the lowly servant, and he serves them by washing their feet. And he's about to demonstrate selfless love in an even greater way less than 24 hours from now. Jesus is telling his disciples to follow him, and he's not unwilling to do any, anything that he asks them to do. They need to, they need to be as willing as he is to humble themselves and to serve others. And Jesus has told his disciples before, if anyone would come after me, let, let, them, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. This, is, this, is, this teaching that he taught them to deny themselves and follow him is about to become much more meaningful to them the next day. Jesus continues in our passage. He says, Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. And here Jesus is just reinforcing what he's commanded them to do. They are obviously not greater than him, their Lord and Christ. So how could they not follow his lead, his example? And Jesus says the blessing doesn't come from knowing this. It comes from when you do it, when you obey him. When we receive what, what Christ has done for us, the sacrifice that he made on our behalf, and, and he didn't deserve to go to the cross, right? We did. When we accept and receive the forgiveness of sin that comes when we believe in him and, and when we trust and believe in what he's done for us, he starts to change us. He starts to work in our hearts. And we start to understand that we also need to live sacrificial lives, lives of service and servanthood. Jesus is trying to teach the disciples this. They, they, they will understand eventually. Um, the Holy Spirit will teach them, just like he's trying to teach us through this passage this morning. But we, we don't literally need to wash each other's feet. Um, we just need to, to live a life of service and sacrifice. And why? Because our Savior did. Amen? Let's pray.